So we are uh, continuing our series this morning uh, that we have entitled Identity in Christ, in which we have been looking at who we are in Jesus Christ. What, what is it that we um, can be and who we really are in Jesus Christ? And I don't think I'm sharing anything new with all of you this morning to say simply that life can be hard at times, can it? Right? Um, that if you live on this earth long enough, that, you know, life can be really, really hard. And, and it doesn't, there is no particular age in which life begins to get hard, right? Life can be hard right from the get-go. Life can be hard right from the moment we are brought into this world, right? I mean, when I just, by the way, it's interesting, Chantel's favorite hymn is the old rugged cross. What child of that age that's a beautiful thing that says, Mom, I want to sing about the old rugged cross, right? There are some of us like, God bless that child, right? And some of us are going, really? How does she even know that, that hymn? I mean, holy cow, that's amazing, right? That's amazing. I love it. But you think about that, the old rugged cross, even Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who knew no sin, he experienced incredible hardship in life. He experienced the kinds of things that for many of us, we may not, and fortunately, not experience the extent of the hardness that he had. I mean, he, he had such a hard life in many ways when we forget about this, right? He's the son of God. He's, he's the savior of the world. He absolutely... But even he himself said, you know, I'm homeless. I'm homeless. I rely on the hospitality of others. I'm an itinerant preacher who goes around all over Israel, and I don't know where I'm going to stay that night. I just know I will have hopefully a place to rest my head. He shared that with a person who wanted to follow him. He says, even foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, he has no home. Homeless, right? I mean, think of that. The king of the universe, the one who created everything, had more in common with the poorest of the poor than with the wealthiest of those in his day. Life was hard. Life was hard. So I say that, not to depress you, if I've already done that, sorry. I'm going to try to bring us out of that this morning, but I got to set the stage, okay? I got to take us into the valley so we can eventually come out onto the mountaintop here. I say that because I think and I'm just maybe speaking for myself, I think perhaps, and maybe you can relate then, that perhaps one of the greatest desires of my heart is that someone would want the best for me. That someone would want to think well of me. That someone, instead of wishing me ill and hoping that I might fail and hoping that I might not succeed and hoping that in some way I get what I deserve, that there might be someone out there who thinks just the opposite. Do you have that same desire at times? Do you know what we call those people who want the best for us? Do you know what we call those things that when people say, I want the best for you, I'm rooting for you, I'm on your side, I want to see you succeed and not fail? Do you know what we call those things? We call those things blessings. We call those things blessings. And they are immensely important to us. In my office, I have in a cedar-made box that I bought when I was in high school on a mission trip to the Great Smoky Mountains in North Carolina. 
I still have it. And I was on the Cherokee Indian Reservation. I still have this box in my office. I'll show it to you. The hinges are a little, are a little uh, broken at this point, but I don't care. But inside that box that I have collected notes and cards and all sorts of stuff of people just pronouncing blessings on me. I keep those notes and those cards in that box. They are there to this day. I have kept these things since I was in high school. That was 30 plus years ago. I still have those notes. 30 plus years ago, I still have those notes. They're still there. That's how important these things are to me. Blessings that are spoken over me. And maybe you can relate as well. That when someone tells you, I am rooting for you. I want to see the best for you. I hope you succeed. I want to see what God is going to do through your life. And I'm excited for you. I mean, those are such great words of encouragement. I don't know about you, but I guess I get goosebumps just sharing those things. And I hope you get goosebumps from hearing those things because those are blessings. I think that's a desire so, so important to me and maybe to many of us, if not most of us, that I think of that passage in, in Genesis of all places. In Genesis, where, where Jacob is wrestling with the angel... Remember that? He's going to meet his brother Esau, whom he hasn't seen for years. And by the way, they did not end on good terms, right? I mean, there is something to be said about brotherly conflict. It is real. If you have a brother, chances are at one point or another, you might have had conflict with each other. It is a real thing. My brother and I had conflict. I say had in past tense. We have reconciled. My brother came to know Jesus. No, um, he came to see the light kind of thing. But no, that's not what happened. We just, we, you know, we had our times. Jacob and Esau, it was even far worse than that kind of conflict. And on the night before he is to meet his brother, do you remember this story? He is wrestling with the angel all night. And you know what is so amazing about that story, so many different things, is that Jacob isn't giving up. This is an angel. I mean, you might think he's pretty strong. An angel can, you know, take care of Jacob, no sweat. And yet, for some reason, this angel is in the struggle all night long. And finally, the angel finally says, all right, that's it. And he touches Jacob's hip and you know, puts it out of joint. And so, of course, Jacob can't fight anymore. But he won't give up until he says what to this angel? I will not let you go until what? What is the one thing Jacob wants? A blessing. Give me your blessing. In other words, think well of me. Tell me everything's going to be okay. I'm going to meet my brother soon. And this is the scariest thing I've ever had to do in my life thus far. Please tell me it's going to be okay. Please tell me I'm going to be okay. Please tell me that I do not do this alone. Please tell me that you are rooting for me and that you are on my side. I really need this now because I cannot face my brother without you there with me. That's how important I think blessings are. I share that this morning because the title I have for today's sermon is this. I am blessed to serve others. Because I think as we move through this series of understanding who we are in Jesus Christ, I think it's really important for us to understand that, guess what? We are blessed to serve others. That that is actually a part of our identity. That we are blessed to serve others. 
And I want us to kind of dive a little bit deeper into what this looks like and why we are blessed to serve others. Because I think it is so important for under, to understand why it is that this is such an important part of our identity. And by the way, the kind of impact we truly can have on other people, even when we do not realize it. Trust me, church. The kind of impact, the words we speak to others matter. Remember, I I don't know about you growing up, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you heard that phrase before? Right? All of us, right? Guess what? It's not true. (laughs) I'd rather have my bones broken. At least they can heal. Words cut far deeper. And the damage lasts a lot longer. Words matter. That's why I think it's so important for us to understand who we are in Jesus Christ and in kind of understanding why we are blessed to serve others, why this is such an important part of our identity. So this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3. I shared a little bit about Ephesians last week, about the whole purpose of the book of Ephesians, about the fact that Paul was writing to this church, a church he dearly loved, a church he was absolutely passionate about, a church that loved him, a church that he was all about wanting to kind of affirm and build up and encourage because they were going to not see Paul anymore because Paul was now in the final stage of his life before he was to be martyred for the very faith in which he now embraced and in which now he was encouraging them in, and now knowing that perhaps life was not going to go swimmingly as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so here he is writing this letter to encourage them, to give them hope, and to in many ways bless them. And in fact, I encourage you, Ephesians is not that long of a book. This week, read Ephesians. It is not a depressing book. It is a beautiful book in which Paul is laying out the incredible mystery of God's plan that has now been revealed in Jesus Christ. And guess what that plan is? We're going to find out, okay? But nonetheless, as we work through this, this is such an encouraging book. Paul is blessing, 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 blessing. Words of encouragement. I'm rooting for you. I'm in your corner. You are not alone. I am here for you. I want the best for you. That's a beautiful, beautiful letter. It's a beautiful letter. So this morning, as we go into this letter once again, there are a few things I want us to realize about why we are a blessing, why we are a blessing, and why we are so blessed to serve others. And the first point that I want us to embrace this morning is this, because the gospel is a blessing. The gospel is a blessing. Take a look. Ephesians chapter 3, begin with verse 6, and we're cutting right into the middle. Okay, I get that. We're cutting right into the middle of this thing. Paul, and I, I just, you know, anyways, that's just where we are. Okay, no, no specific reason. I just cut right in there. To be specific. Now, Paul is just, up until this point, has been talking about the mystery of, of, of Jesus Christ, or the mystery of God's plan now revealed through Jesus Christ. And finally, he just gets to brass tacks. He just lays it out as square and as plainly as he can. And he says this, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, most likely, and as he's writing this, he is now focusing specifically on the Jewish people who are in this church. And he is sharing with them, guess what? Not only are you partakers of the promise, which, duh, 
you are the chosen people. There's no surprise there. But guess what? So are the Gentiles whom you are sitting next to in worship. They too are partakers of the promises of the beauty of the gospel through Jesus Christ. The gospel is a blessing. And what is the gospel? Shared it before. Share it again. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus won. W-O-N. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus won. The gospel is all about Jesus. And because it's all about Jesus, it's all about the work that he did. It's all about what he said. It's everything he came to do and everything he came to taught now is now embraced and now embedded in the gospel. And the whole point here of the gospel is the fact that he came, he died, and he won. His plan succeeded. Everything that the enemy could throw at him has failed. Everything that the enemy not only threw at him, but now also throws at all of us who are followers of Jesus will fail. And let me just explain this to you, church, if you haven't realized this already, is there is a person out there who wants to see you fail. There is a person out there, has a name, Satan, who wants to see you utterly fail. He does not want you to succeed. He does not want what's best for you. In fact, he hopes it does not go well for you. He wants you to suffer for no other reason because he is suffering. He wants you and I to not succeed for the whole reason because he didn't succeed. And misery loves company. There is an enemy that is out there that doesn't want to see you or I succeed. It is true. It happens. He does not want what's best for us. And the beauty of the gospel is, guess what? He doesn't have the last word. He doesn't have the last word. He does not win, and he knows it, and he knows it. He does not win. That's the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel, is that this is a a beautiful gospel, and this message, the beauty of this message, is that it isn't just for the Jewish people, it's also for the Gentiles. It's for everyone. That's the blessing of the gospel. It is a message that Jesus came for everyone, Jesus died for everyone, and Jesus did it and wins. And everyone who follows him wins with him. Everyone will succeed who calls him Lord and Savior. Everyone, if they embrace the gospel, are saved and reconciled and in the end ultimately redeemed. That is the beauty of it. And here's the other beauty thing about the gospel is there is no second-class citizenship in the kingdom of God. Everyone gets the same reward. Everyone gets to be with Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a Jewish person or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or not. It doesn't matter if you're educated or not educated. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter if you are a person who loves Apple or a person who loves Android. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. We all get the same reward. Everyone gets the same reward because of Jesus Christ. There is no second-class citizenship in the kingdom of God. And Paul, when he says this in verse 6, that is essentially what I think he is saying, is that we are all fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel is a blessing. In fact, it is the ultimate blessing. 
The gospel says to every single person, God loves you. God is rooting for you. God is on your side. God wants you to live and not die. God wants you to succeed and not fail. God wants it to go well for you and not bad for you. God is here with you. You are not alone. That's the beauty of the gospel. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing for everyone. That's number one. Number two is this. Jesus has blessed me and he has blessed you. Jesus has blessed me and he has blessed you. Paul goes on and writes, starting with verse 7. And this, I love this. Listen to the posture of what Paul writes here as he's writing these words. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And he goes on. And to enlighten all people as to what the plan of the mystery, which is for ages, has been hidden in God, who created all things. Did you catch the posture Paul has as a result of the fact that he has been blessed by God, that he gets to do, that he gets to preach this gospel that's a blessing for everyone? This is Paul, mind you, who, by the way, was like a Jew of the Jews. He was the guy who knew what it meant to be Jewish. He was the guy who knew what it was all about, the scriptures, and he had learned these scriptures, and he had studied these scriptures, and he had taught these scriptures, and he was incredibly gifted. He was incredibly educated, and he was incredibly on fire for the Jewish faith. That Paul, who had an unbelievable encounter with Jesus, and as a result, lost a lot of things as a result of it, comes out of it saying, I cannot believe Instead of going out and saying, Jesus, I cannot believe that I followed you and this is what's happened to me. This is awful. This is horrible. I should have never followed you in the first place. I lost my friends. I lost my status. I lost my line of, you know, being able to have influence over people, all this kind of stuff. I lost all of that. He didn't complain about it. Rather, what he says is, I cannot believe that you picked me. I cannot believe that you chose me. I cannot believe that you are the one who said, Paul, I'm going to use you to go and preach to the Gentiles. I'm going to use you to go and share the gospel with those who up until this point have thought they were never included in my kingdom. You are going to be the one to go and share the gospel with them. Did you catch Paul's posture here? It's not one as a result of coming to Jesus that says, yeah, I'm in the in crowd and you're not too bad for you. I know what's up and you don't. Yeah. Be well. Hope you figure it out someday. You know, I, I, I'm the one who's going to go to heaven and well, you're not. Good luck with that. May it go well for you kind of thing. Did you, that wasn't Paul's attitude at all. Paul's attitude was just the, just the opposite. He said, I can't believe it. I can't believe you're actually going to use me. Let me ask you this, church, and be honest. Don't answer it out loud. Just answer it in your hearts. And by the way, Jesus knows your answer. No pressure. It's okay. How many of you ever view ministry as a privilege? How many of you ever view ministry as a privilege? Or do you more view it as an annoyance? Yeah. 
How many of you view sharing the gospel, being able to tell others about who Jesus is, as just this unbelievable privilege and this opportunity that I don't know why in the world God has given me this opportunity. I don't know why in the world God has allowed me to be a part of this movement that he is doing here on this earth. And instead, maybe look at the presentation of the gospel as, oh, really? Do I really have to? I'm scared. I don't want to do that. I get all those fears. How many of us look at ministry as an inconvenient annoyance rather than an unbelievable privilege to be able to share with others the blessings that we have received? Think about that. Think about that. When I was on sabbatical, I read a couple of books that were really incredibly helpful to me. Um, The late pastor and theologian Eugene Peterson, many of you might not know him, but you probably know many of his works. Perhaps the most famous of it was the message paraphrase. He wrote that. Um, The irony is his story was this, is that he never wanted to be a pastor. But get this, his wife always wanted to be married to a pastor. She always wanted to be a pastor's wife. (laughs) Ladies, how many of you have ever wanted to grow up and you dreamed of marrying a pastor? (laughs) Okay, there you go. There's your answer. No hand went up there. Understandably so. So he went and he planted a church in Maryland, of all places. It's a small church. And he wrote still as a professor because that was where his heart was as well. And so he kind of bridged these two worlds of pastoral ministry and being a professor. And yet, in my opinion, he wrote some of the best books on the vocation of pastoral ministry that I think are out there to this day. And so I got to read a couple of these books. And one of the books I'll never forget was talking about the the unglamorous tasks of pastoral ministry. And I'm not talking about visiting people in their homes. I'm not talking about making hospital visits. I'm talking about having to send emails, having to kind of work on the minutia of writing letters and, and reports and having to you know, do the, 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 the glue, if you will, that keeps the engine running of a church. You know what I'm saying? I know some of you believe that I only work an hour every Sunday. <laughs> Randall reminds me of that every single week. You're only here an hour on Sunday. I mean, that's it. I mean, it, but the reality is, is that there is such minutia in everyday ministry. I remember an intern that we had when I was serving a church in Toledo and he asked if he could come on and be an intern with me. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, great. We paid him and all that kind of stuff. And a few weeks into it, he was shocked. He came to me one day and he says, Dan, I'm shocked at, I thought this was, you know, he was just couldn't believe what ministry was like. And I said, what did you expect? He says, well, I thought you guys sat around all week as staff and just worshiped and read the scriptures and, <laughs> and, and did all this stuff that was just like devotion readings. And, all. and what he found out is, no, no, no. We're, we're actually gearing up for events and doing, gearing up for, for, for you know, Bible studies and, and all sorts of things that just keep the church running. Ministry sometimes can just be incredibly monotonous, unexciting, right? Even coming to church sometimes can be a chore. Amen? You weren't supposed to say amen. (laughs) That was a trick. No, it can be. I get it. Sometimes you're just like, oh, like today. Today was a perfect day to stay home, wasn't it? 
This was a fall day in Tucson, Arizona. The sun's not out. Do you realize how sick it is when all of a sudden we, we are just like grateful for a cloudy day? <laughs> yes, today's cloudy. Oh, this is wonderful. The sun's not out. There are people in other parts of this country who are yearning for the sun, right? But today is a perfect day to stay in. I could tell, man, we're a little down today. We're a little, uh, I get it. Sometimes that's ministry. Sometimes we get caught up, and it's, and it's understandably so, the minutia of ministry. And I love how Eugene Peterson reminded me of that, that sometimes just the everyday tasks of just keeping things running and doing things, returning phone calls, writing emails, putting down letters and reports and all of that kind of stuff and having to deal with conflict and all of that kind of stuff, it's, it's just the minutia of ministry. That's just what it is. And sometimes we lose the privilegedness of that because of just the minutia that we sometimes face of everyday ministry. Let me ask you another question, church. Do you ever look at your family, those in your own home, as ministry opportunities? And I'm not talking about how to be more Christ-like to them. When your children mess up and say, what would Jesus do? Stuff like that. No, no, I'm just talking about ways in which to serve them. Do you ever look at the fact that ministry in your family, what a privilege it is to actually serve members of your own family, to share the gospel with them? Or we just take it for granted? The reality is, is that we have been blessed by Jesus. And that is an unbelievable privilege that he has now included us in his plan that he is working in this world to bring others into his kingdom. One of my favorite Christian philosophers, Peter Kreft, says this. The world was one for Christ, not by arguments, but by sanctity. I, I don't know much. In fact, let me just say this. I don't know of anyone. There may be. I'm just saying I don't know of anyone who was ever won to Christ because they lost an argument over it. I just don't know of anyone who came to Christ because they lost an argument. It just, it just maybe it happened, but I, I, I don't know of it. He says this, the world was won for Christ, not by arguments, but by sanctity. And this is what he means by sanctity. What you are speaks so loud, I can hardly hear what you say. Sanctity, the way we live, speaks so loud, I can hardly hear what you're saying. This is why our identity in Christ is so crucial, that we approach the fact that we are now have been blessed by Jesus Christ, that we are, as part of our identity, blessed by Jesus Christ to serve others. Because the best way, I think, the most powerful way, and I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this, not from you all, from others, okay, is that the, perhaps the most powerful way that we share the gospel with others is the, the way that we live and act towards them. St. Francis of Assisi, you've heard this before, I'll say it again. He said this, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. And so here's the thing, is that as followers of Jesus, 
how we respond to others, how we interact with others goes far more in sharing who Jesus is to them and what the gospel is to them than anything we could possibly say, even if what we say is true, even if what we say is right, even if what we say at the end of the day will win any argument that we may encounter with that person. It does not matter. If we live in a way that is contrary to the gospel, if we live in a way that shows Jesus for everything who he is not, what good is it of what we're saying? It does not matter. What does it matter if we tell a person, Jesus loves you, but we act as though we hate them? What does it matter? We have failed. What does it matter when we say to a person, Jesus has compassion for you, but we have no mercy. What does it matter when we say Jesus is with you and yet we abandon people at their darkest hour and want nothing to do with them? What good is that? It's not good at all. And so here's the reality is we have to remember we have been blessed Jesus has blessed us with this beautiful gospel. And we have embraced this gospel. And we have been blessed. Here's the final thing. And because he has blessed us, guess what? Jesus has blessed others. Jesus has blessed others. Paul goes on and says this in verse 10. So that the multifaceted, I love this, multifaceted wisdom of God. Oh man, is that loaded? Is that loaded, right? Multi, let me, you know what that's another word for or another, another code? Multifaceted wisdom of God. That means we cannot fully understand who God is. That what God has revealed to us is enough for us to handle right now, right? Multi, you could, you could sit there and say multifaceted wisdom blank or multifaceted just blank. Whether it's God, whether it's women, whether it's men, whatever, We do not fully understand who God is any more than we can fully understand our spouse, our our children, someone of the opposite sex. It doesn't matter. God is multifaceted. He is bigger than we could ever possibly imagine. And what he has revealed to us is enough for us to handle right now. And yet Paul writes the fact that so that the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. As multifaceted as God is, we have the opportunity to share that with this world. In other words, he wants to bless everyone. The rulers and the authorities, including the Gentiles and the Jews, everyone. And he goes on in verse 11 and says this, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. All of us have this beautiful, confident access to Jesus Christ, and he wants others to have that same access as well. He has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. God's plan all along was to have both Jew and Gentile come together as one. As one. To bring all people, regardless of who they are, regardless of their background, regardless of where they may live, coming together as one. I love what Isaiah 52, 7 says this. 
How delightful! On the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. John 10, 16 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will come, one flock with one shepherd. It's beautiful. Jesus cares for non-Christians. Jesus cares for those who do not know him, and in fact, may even hate him. Jesus still loves them. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? We may not like them. We may not care for them. That's irrelevant. All we have to do as followers of Jesus is love the people that Jesus loved, and then we can hate everyone else. That's what we can do. All we have to do is love the people that Jesus loved, and we can hate everyone else. And guess what? Jesus loved everyone. Still does. He loves every single person. So here's the beauty of it. We bless others in so many ways. When we pray for people, when we serve them, when we wish them well, and most importantly, when we are sharing the gospel with them in, ver- in, in both verbal as well as in most importantly, how we behave towards them. We can bless them or we can curse them. We can bless them or we can curse them. Luke chapter 6 verse 28 says this, Jesus speaks, Bless those who curse you even. Pray for those who are abusive to you. We can even and are even called to bless those who want us to fail. Who want what is not best for us. Who want us in any other way just simply to suffer. Jesus says, bless them. Bless them. And by the way, I don't mean in that southern way. Oh, bless your heart. I mean, really mean it. I mean, really mean it. Not to say that they don't all the time, but come on. Sometimes it's just a saying, you know, oh, bless your heart. Has other meanings. But here's the thing, is that we are called to bless others, particularly in the way that we share the gospel with them. So let me say this. Some of you might be here today as followers of Jesus, and you may have forgotten just this basic premise that you are blessed. That God is on your side. That he loves you. That he's all for you. That he wants you to succeed. He wants you to be with him. That you are not alone. And some of you need to know, guess what? You need to be reminded, yeah, you're blessed. You're blessed. Some of you might be here today And maybe you don't even know that you're blessed. Maybe you think there is no one on your side. There is no one who is here today. I am suffering. I am alone. Who is for me? Who is in my corner? I want to tell you today that you can be blessed. And we want to bless you. We want to affirm on you today that you are not alone. That you are deeply loved that you can succeed. We want, to see what's, we want to see and are excited for what God can do in your life because we've experienced it ourselves. We have experienced it ourselves. So next Saturday, 
and we're good at this as a church. We love to serve. So what I'm sharing is nothing new, but even next Saturday when we have the opportunity to go and just bless our neighbor by just doing some yard work for them, that speaks volumes. In fact, I think that is in some ways more powerful than if we had gone to our neighbors and just give them a track. Nothing wrong with tracks. Nothing wrong with that. I think it just speaks volumes that we can actually simply go and say, guess what? You're blessed. Jesus loves you. Jesus is here for you. Jesus wants you to succeed. He is in your corner. And we're here to prove it. We're here to show it. We're here to bless you. What a powerful opportunity. And you know what? It's just pulling grass. Weeds. It's trimming trees. We might be tempted to think, what good is that? Speaks volumes. Really does. It speaks volumes. What good is doing that stuff more than you think? And so I hope that as a church when we gather next Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, that we can remember that the fact that it's not just simply doing yard work. It's so much more. It's so much more. It's a privilege of what we get to do. That we get to actually share with people the gospel of Jesus Christ in a real and powerful way. By serving. Even more immediate, today when we leave this place, there are opportunities galore to serve people. Not only today, but for the remainder of this week. For us to go and to see, there may just be there opportunities just to share with people. Maybe it's a quick word of encouragement. Maybe it's just helping someone. Who knows? God will reveal those opportunities to you, I pray. An opportunity just to bless them because we've been blessed. Because through Jesus Christ, we are so blessed to serve others. Amen.